0: Well, we are in week three of our series that we're calling The Moral of the Story, and we've been covering parables of Jesus. Jesus spoke in parables in order to help us understand abstract things of God by talking about normal things in our everyday life. But also, Jesus spoke in parables so that those who were seeking God could find God, and that those who didn't want to know would just not bother with it. So we want to be people who seek God. We want to be people who, who are interested and curious about the things of God. And so as we go through these parables, let's be curious. Let's, let's really wonder about the great things of God and just seek the Lord in that. We don't want to be stiff-necked and hold back from God, but we want to seek. We want to be curious because when we seek, we'll find. When we're curious, God will meet us where we're at. This week, we're going to talk about the lost parables in Luke chapter 15. So these three parables that we're going to look at are all very, very similar, and they basically have one theme, and it's this. People, even those people are extremely valuable to God. People, even those people, are extremely valuable to God. The context of these parables is that Jesus was teaching large crowds and he was talking about the expectations on the believer. That the expectations are very high. If you want to serve the Lord, the bar is high. That's what Jesus was talking about. And here at Good Hope, when people ask, is it a sin if, I've got two questions that I ask them. The first one is, what are you planning to do that you're going to ask me that question? That's the first one. And then the second answer, you know, because everybody wants to know, where's the line? Where's the line? Is it, is it okay for me to do this or that? Or you know? Well, here's the deal. The line is in different places for different people and it moves. It's a tricky thing. Now, adultery is always wrong. Stealing is always wrong. Lying is always wrong. But when it comes to these other things, the line is in different places for different people and it moves. You know, what does God expect of the unbeliever in order to come into salvation? What what are the prerequisites for that? Just that they come. That's it. You don't have to come with anything. In fact, it's much easier if you come with nothing because then you know that everything is from God. Everything is a gift from God. But then once you start following the Lord, then the expectations start to increase. If you are wanting to be in ministry, well, then the the bar gets higher. And then once you get into ministry, the bar gets higher. You want to advance, the bar gets higher. And so Jesus is talking about these expectations that the bar is high, that we're to, we're to attain to a high standard if we're going to be following the Lord. So the way I like to describe that, again, is the bar is in different places for different people and it moves. It's just like school. You don't do graduate school in first grade. You do first grade in first grade. Then you do second grade in second grade and the bar continually gets higher and higher as you progress. Same thing as we follow the Lord. And so he's talking about those sorts of things. And so you would think that the religious people would be looking at themselves and thinking to themselves, I wonder how I could do this better. I wonder how I could follow God more effectively, more powerfully. How could I do that? But we get a different scenario. So let's go to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. So those people were coming to listen to Jesus. Is this good news or bad news? It's good news. Do we want those people at Good Hope Church? Oh yeah, absolutely. Now, there's a reason we want those people at Good Hope Church, and that's so that we can tell them the gospel, so we can help them to find God, and so that they can then, grow in their relationship with the Lord and become a positive influence in this world for the kingdom of God. So tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the fancy religious people were criticizing Jesus for welcoming those people and eating with them. In fact, there are other places in the Bible where Jesus is specifically criticized for being a friend of sinners. That's the insult That was given to Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. This is an individual who accepts and welcomes. Eats with. Which is a sign of fellowship and connection. Eats with sinners. And so the religious people were now criticizing Jesus. For interacting with, welcoming and building a connection with. People who were far from God. They were muttering that. And so instead of these religious leaders looking to themselves and thinking, wow, how can, I, how can I live a life worthy of the calling that I've received? Instead of that, they're criticizing. They're looking at Jesus and saying, oh, sure, you know, he's going to hang out with those people. And so Jesus understands that they're not getting it. They're missing something. And so he begins to explain things in parables. So verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So Jesus is saying... That the lost sheep, the person far from God, the person who is living a a foolish, sinful life, is someone that God cares deeply for. And when finally they come to the Lord and they, they realize what God has for them, that there is a party in heaven and the angels are excited and God is excited and it's just a big deal. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And then I just find this... An interesting piece that there's 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Do you think on this planet today there are 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent? Maybe 99 self-righteous persons which might be the people Jesus was talking to and telling these parables to, oh, you think you don't need to get anything straightened out? You think they're the sinners and you're just perfectly fine right where you are? I think he was making a little bit of a point here and saying, look, don't think that you've got everything together and you're just going to criticize me for dealing with these sinners and you think you're perfect. That's just not the way it is. I mean, all of us need to get better at this. Amen? All of us need to look at ourselves and, and take the plank out of our eye so that we can help get the speck out of our brother's eye. We all need to be looking at ourselves and, and repenting and growing and getting better at following the Lord. And so this 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent, I think is a little bit of a statement to these people. Hey, evaluate yourself and try to understand what's going on. Then we've got the next parable. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. Now maybe you connect well with animals, and the lost sheep means a lot to you. I mean, maybe if we said... In our culture, the lost puppy or the lost kitten, you know, and we're like, "Oh no, our cat had six kittens, and now there's only five, and we don't know where the other one is, and we found the lost kitten, you know, maybe that would move your heart, but maybe it's just cold, hard cash that would move your heart, you know like <laughs> you got you got ten hundred dollar bills, and you go look and because you, you count them every night because you really like them and and it's only nine like, oh no, when I was playing with them, I must have lost one somewhere. And, and now you lost a $100 bill, and, and that grips your heart. That's the situation here. You know, he's, okay, let's do the animal thing. Let's do the cash thing. And so you got a person who loses one of their silver coins and then finds it. You know, it's, it's the idea of something valuable has been lost. And when we find it, we rejoice. Verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So here we see two parables that are essentially exactly the same. The parable of the lost sheep, which gets a lot more play in our culture because, you know, it's, it's a cool picture. And the parable of the lost coin. Why the repetition? Why basically give the same illustration twice? Just for emphasis. Specifically for emphasis. That this is actually really, really important. So let's not... Miss this point. And the point is simply this. God greatly prizes those who are far from Him. God greatly prizes those who are far from Him. Every human being on this planet was created by God for an eternal relationship with God. And God's heart breaks over each one who is separated from Him and who doesn't know how to get connected with Him. These are the lost sheep, the lost coin. And the sub-point is, we as followers of Christ should greatly prize them too. If we are with God, we need to share the heart of God. And if God's heart is for those who are far from Him, that they would come, then we need to share that heart. These teachers of the law, these Pharisees did not share God's heart with that. In fact, they were criticizing Jesus for spending time with these sinners. And so we are to share the heart of God with regards to these people who are far from God. Now, the strategy here was simply, go get them. If the sheep is lost, what's the strategy? Go look for the sheep. If the coin is lost, what's the strategy? Go look for the coin. This is evangelism. This is where you go to them and you reach them and you try to bring the gospel to them. You go to them. This is Matthew 9:35 through 38 in parable form. So let's read that Matthew 9:35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is going around the countryside, town to town. He's seeing all these needs. He's meeting these needs and he's realizing that these people are just in a a world of hurt and they're harassed and helpless. They don't have direction and they don't have protection. And so he he sees the darkness of the world and he has compassion on them. And the strategy, the plan here Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's lost sheep, there's lost coins, there's all these people who are far from God, and there aren't very many people to help them, so send them out. And statistically, you know, it isn't leaving the 99 to go after the 1. It's more like leaving the 30 or leaving the 20 to go after the 70 or the 80. That's what it's like in our culture. We're not leaving the 99. We're leaving the few to go after the many. This is evangelism. Jesus sent out his disciples to go reach people because God's heart breaks for everyone who is far from him. God highly values those who are far from him, and we need to highly value them as well and go to them. So we as followers of Christ are called to seek out the lost sheep, the lost coin, to bring them in and then to rejoice with the angels when someone comes in. However, sometimes in Christian circles, that's not the heart of the people. You know, And we need to make sure that we share the heart of God. And what can creep in is what's been called consumer Christianity. Consumer Christianity is when people are looking for things for themselves rather than looking for ways to serve God. So I want this, you know, I want that, and so I'm going to go shopping for a, a church that meets my needs. And hey, find the church that fits you. That's good. Find the place you belong. But when you get there, serve the Lord. Don't be served. Don't expect to be served. Don't come as a consumer trying to take things, trying to receive things. You know, What happens when you go to church and and they don't sing your favorite song? What does that feel like? Oh, man, (laughs) didn't sing my favorite song. Well, is there something more important going on than singing your favorite song? There is. Something much more important going on than singing your favorite song. There is the advancement of the kingdom of God, which is evangelism and missions and discipleship. It's about growing in our relationship with with the Lord, getting connected with God, growing in our faith, making a difference in this world by inviting other people to connect with God and grow in their faith and make a difference in this world. There are things way more important than our creature comforts. And now I hope you really enjoy coming to church. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the highest priority. It's fairly low on the list. What we want to do is make a difference for the kingdom of God. We want to to grow in our relationship with God, not be the the consumer, but we want to be people who bear fruit for the kingdom of God. We don't want to take. We want to give. We want to serve. We want to bear fruit. Then, Jesus isn't done here in, in Luke chapter 15. He tells another parable. So let's jump to verse 11. There's really two pieces to this parable. The first half deals with someone who has walked away. And the second half deals with how the church should respond. So let's go to verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So this is this guy. He's a a wealthy landowner, has a big agricultural business of some kind now this is a parable so these aren't real people jesus is making a point by telling his story and trying to get us to understand you know we kind of flesh this out a little bit so there's a wealthy landowner got some kind of agricultural business and he has two sons the younger one says you're not dying soon enough for me give me my half i want my inheritance now how would that feel if your kid said that man you're you're healthy still how long is it gonna be? You know, would that feel kind of icky? <laughs> and so the father says, okay. And he splits the wealth in half, gives half to the younger and half to the older. That's amazing. Next verse. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So the estate is cut in half. The younger boy takes his half out into the world, and goes on a massive spending and debauchery spree, like he won the lottery, and he's, he's just wastes it all. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Next verse. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything so he's squandered all this wealth and now he's hired out to a, a farmer and he's feeding pigs and he's looking at the pig slop and going oh man I wish I had me some of that he's in a world of hurt have you ever been in a world of hurt and all of a sudden your priorities shifted verse 17 when he came to his senses i love that i love that statement when he came to his senses when he became aware of what was really going on, his priorities got in order. He saw reality for what it was and he just was like, oh man. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. Now imagine you're this younger son, and you've wasted half of your father's wealth. You've embarrassed him, you've run the family name through the mud. Everybody knows what happened, and you're going to go home. Would you be a little nervous? So he goes home. He's got his speech prepared. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. What do you think it was like for this father? Again, this is a parable. It's it's not a true story. It's a story made to make a point. But I think it's okay to flesh out some of the details. What, What are we looking at here in the heart of this father? His son is gone. What are the options for the emotional response to the son taking half of the wealth and taking off and wasting it? What are your emotional options? You could be angry. You could be disgusted. You can be wildly offended. You could be bitter. You know, there's all these things. What does this show about the heart of this father? When I read this parable, I picture two, three, maybe four years passing where this family is eating dinner and there's an empty place setting every day and an empty chair and the father's praying for the son that's not there. Is, is just His heart's broken for his wonderful son that he wants to come home. That's the emotional content that's described here. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him Hang on just a minute. All right. <laughs> bring him, bring a roll, bring a ring. We're going to kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party. Just like the angels celebrated when the coin was found, when the lost sheep was found, the individual who was far from God is brought in. There's a celebration here. We see the same thing. A great celebration over the prodigal son who had left, who had ran, who had wasted the father's money. We see a tremendous celebration happen. And, the point of this is that God won't reject you when you come home. Not even close. You won't get the, oh, sure. Now that you ran out of everything, you're going to come home, huh? You, I guess you see how this works now, don't you? Not even that. Ran to him. Hugged him. Kissed him. New robe. New ring. Kill the fattened calf. Have a party. He's found. He's home. He his, The father's heart is filled with joy because his son has come home. God will not reject you. If you have ran from God, if you have failed God, if you have squandered everything that God has given you and you turn back to God, he will respond just like this and he is excited about having you back. He loves you. He will not reject you. Not even close. But the parable's not over. So let's keep reading. Verse 25. Meanwhile... The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So the older son's not aware of what's going on, but he notices that there's some commotion going on at the house. Now, just a sec. So we we talked about the father's potential different emotional contents in this experience. How about the older brother different emotional content? What would you feel if little brother has the audacity to go to dad and say, give me my half now. And dad does it, and then he wastes it all. I mean, the business is cut in half, and you're you're having to start back from years and build it back up, and you're doing the hard work day after day. Have you ever been the one stuck with the shovel, and somebody else is just off taking a break when they should be working. What do you think about that person while you're digging? You know, whatever it is, if you're doing the hard work while other people aren't, generally your thoughts about them are poor. And so this older brother has been spending all this time thinking about his lazy, rotten little brother who didn't answer the call, who squandered everything, who if he'd have just not left, we'd be twice as far ahead in the business than we are now. It's all his fault. He's a fool. He's just angry at him. Can, can you relate to that, though? So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. "'Your brother has come,' he replied, "'and your father has killed the fattened calf "'because him, he has him back safe and sound.'" The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the older brother is, he's dismayed. Like, what? Killed the fat calf. Does that seem right? This is injustice. The older brother is upset. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the and calf for him. Can you relate? This man, this dude is upset. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Pause on this for just a second. So this... Older brother represents the church, represents the faithful believer who has been doing the hard work. You know, serving God is hard work. Coming to church, serving, volunteering in various ways. You don't get the thanks you deserve. People will, you know, they'll just blow you off and, and the great thing you had planned all falls apart and, and you're just trying to do all these different things. You get betrayed by various people and and people say things about you that aren't true, and, and, you know, you've just been faithfully serving the Lord, and then somebody who's just blew it all off, just one day is like, yep, I think I'm going to turn to Jesus, and then they come in, and, and you, you're just like, uh, oh, I've been doing this for years, working hard, staying faithful through the hard times, you bail in the hard times, and now you're going to come back. There's a temptation to not be excited about somebody coming back. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The d- the property was divided in half. The older son now owns the entire estate. The younger son's inheritance has been lost. He can come back in. Hallelujah. But the whole thing belongs to the older brother. Verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the point here is... Don't be a hypocrite. Love like your father did. Love the prodigal like you are loved. Again, this is a response to the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners. He's saying, look, you need to care about these people too. When they come in, you need to love them too. You need to be part of that. Don't be a hypocrite. Love like the father did. So we've got this difference between the lost sheep and the lost coin. The strategy was go. The father did not go after the younger son. It's a big difference between the two. The father did not go after the younger son. What was the strategy for the younger son, for this prodigal? The strategy that the father employed was simply this. Be worth coming home to. Be worth coming home to. That is the church's job. Be worth coming home to. Be the smiling face. Be the excited group. Be the place of love that's worth coming home to. That when you've done everything wrong, you've failed in every way, we're worth coming home to. That's our, that's our job. That's our responsibility. That's the Father's strategy. So we need to be worth coming home to. And let me tell you, if you've got a prodigal in your life, in your family, that's a good strategy too. Be worth coming home to. Be praying for them. Be wanting them to get right. Be ready to embrace. Be ready to put on the robe. Be ready to celebrate. Be worth coming home to. So the ones, the the lost sheep, the lost coin kind of represent those who aren't going to find their way home. Go get them. This prodigal, though, needed to be left to figure out how this works. Once he came to his senses, he came home to a place that was worth coming home to. God is always worth coming back to. And we need to be worth coming home to as a church. God loves people, even those people. They're very valuable to God. We are very valuable to God. We need to share that love of people that God has with this world. If you want to come home, God won't reject you, and we won't either. If you want to come home, God won't reject you, and we won't either. If you need to come home, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. But if you need to get your heart right so that you're worth coming home to, let's pray about that too. Because who doesn't want to come home to a loving family who will help them clean off all their wounds and who won't put all their failures on them and blame them for everything, but knowing what happened will bring them in. Let's be worth coming home to. Heavenly Father, you are so awesome. Thank you that you are merciful. Thank you that your love knows no end. Thank you that you love us. We receive your love. We know that you love us. We know that you are merciful and forgiving. Lord, help us to reflect that. As we talked about last week, help us to reflect your love into this world, to reflect your forgiveness into this world, to share your heart for those who are lost and don't know you and for those who have walked away. Let us share your heart. It's too easy to blame and to think the wrong thoughts. Lord, we need your heart. So let your heart come into us. and Let us be people of love. Let us be worth coming home to. Father. I just pray your blessings over each one of us here. We want to be worth coming home to. Give us a heart to seek the lost, to reach people who don't know you, who are, are far enough away, they don't know how to come back. They've never been taught. They just don't know. Lord, help us to seek them out. And Lord, for those who are in that state where they know how to come home, but they don't want to, Lord, help us to keep our heart right so that we're worth coming home to when they come to their senses. When they realize that you actually are good, that there are people who are hypocrites and there are people who do things wrong, but that you are good, that you are actually wonderful and awesome, so great. And then they want to come home, but they're not sure what the reception will be. Lord, let us have your heart so that we can respond with a hug, with a celebration, with joy and be worth coming home to. Let us be that place. Father, I pray your your peace would be upon each one of us. Lord, whatever storm we're facing, whatever trial, whatever difficulty, Lord, let that storm be on the outside of us, but let our hearts be guarded by you and full of peace. Lord, I pray that you would give us a special measure of faith, that we would believe for something, that you've, you've got a plan for our lives, and, and Lord, we need to believe for it, we need to have faith for it, so give us that special measure of faith for whatever it is in our life that we need We need that breakthrough in, we need that answer for. Lord, help us to be people of faith. Lord, let us have joy in our hearts, that joy that gives us strength, the joy in the Lord. And Father, let us, let us understand who we are in your eyes. That when we walk away from you, that that place at the table is set and an empty chair is there and that your heart goes out Lord, help us to know how much you love us so that we aren't bitter, so that we aren't judgmental, so that we don't push others away, but that we can share your love with anyone in this world or let it be in Jesus name. I pray. Amen.